comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs, and one. Cal up top, Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. Watson, and a foul! This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Aztec Breakdowns podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Kinslow, flying solo tonight. You can follow me over on Twitter, at CallMeKinslow. And man, it was an up-and-down last couple of days for our Aztecs. Uh, Thursday's game was one of the single most disappointing efforts, performances, results that I could remember in a while. There's no shame in losing to Utah State, but I just feel the way that our team performed, the way that some individual players played, the way that our coaching staff handled the matchups, I just felt like overall it was incredibly disappointing. Very, very frustrating result as they lose by 12. So let's first talk about the Utah State series, and then we'll look ahead into what is going to be a stretch of games where, honestly, the Aztecs are going to be huge favorites uh, regardless of who's playing. So starting off, Thursday's game, incredibly disappointing, like I said. One of the big things that I'm taking away from that game is why didn't Brian Dutcher match up Mensa's minutes with their big, right? Because in Thursday's game, it became really apparent that Tamayich just could not handle him in the post. Cueto was killing us every time that Mensa went out of the game. And one of the surprising things was Mensa was doing a pretty dang good job. You're not going to shut him down completely, right? It's really about limiting his opportunities, and I feel like Mensa did a great job. And the other thing that Mensa does on the offensive end that Tamayich doesn't is he really makes him work. Tamayich has a lot of settle plays where he's shooting threes or he's catching the ball and shooting a two versus Mensa's working to get open. He's working the offensive rebounds. And I really thought that Mensa's performances were very, very, very encouraging, right? Especially seeing that Cueta is a first, maybe not a first-round NBA draft pick, but he's going to get picked and he's going to get some run in the NBA just because his size is so unique and he's really good around the basket, right? But the other things that were incredibly disappointing, it just felt like every single player was playing a little timid, right? You saw in the difference between Thursday and Friday in Terrell Gomez's play. Terrell Gomez was gripping and ripping, you know, catching the ball and jacking up shots with confidence in Saturday's game, as opposed to Thursday, he just kind of held on to the ball a little too long. Everything just seemed a little bit slow, a little bit lackluster. Uh, in, in Even in the difference between we use Shackle on Thursday and Friday. Shackle was doing much more isolation on Thursday and on Friday. We kept running him off of screens. We kept getting him his shot. We kept getting him into his spots. Clearly, the positive to take away is Dutcher saw some things and made some adjustments in the difference between Thursday and Friday's game, right? That's a huge positive. Because even without Mitchell, we played significantly better than we did without. 
And I think that's important to look at. It's important to give Dutch credit there because a lot of people are going to be talking, you know, why this, why that, what's going on, where's our set offense. And that's really frustrating because it really seemed like on Thursday's game, we weren't running any offensive plays. It just seemed like a five-out offense where a guy was trying to beat his dude to the basket, and it plays right into Utah State's hands because they have the best shot blocker in the conference in Cueta. So they're funneling guys to Cueta. It's very similar to how the Aztecs play defense, and that's extremely frustrating to watch because you know that we can play better. We can play better than we did on Thursday night. We played significantly better on Friday, and I think... One of the reasons is Mitchell had a doing-too-much game. I thought Mitchell had a doing-too-much game. I thought Arope had a doing-too-much game. I thought Trey Pulliam had a doing-too-much game. And this team can really survive and win games when one or maybe two of those individuals is doing that. But it really felt like the team was panicking on, on Thursday. And because of it, they were all trying to force everything. And that just leads to disaster, right? The other thing is Utah State had fans. And the foul discrepancy, the free throw line discrepancy, that showed in the two games. You know, San Diego State at home has no fans. And we get that. We talked about this in a previous episode, how the home court advantage, you're going to get more calls, right? And that was a huge difference on Saturday because at the end of the game, they were in the double bonus. We were, they were shooting free throws with like three or four minutes left, and we weren't in the double bonus until like two minutes left. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. And especially for a team that really predicates itself on being a tough drive to the basket and make shots, Okay. That's a huge, huge difference in, in the game plan and stylistically that the Aztecs can run. And Thursday, I felt like they really just kind of panicked. And this is where having a established point guard who knows how to run and control the flow of the offense is surely missed. Because someone like a Malachi Flynn, Xavier Thames, DJ Gay, uh, even KJ Fagan, Having that guard who can just settle everyone down and create shots for others is sorely missed. And we don't have that on our team this year. We just don't. It was one of the biggest fears that Trone and I had at the beginning of the season is how are our guards going to create shots for others? And they simply didn't, especially against Utah State. Now, the huge talking point is absolutely Matt Mitchell got getting hurt. But when he got hurt, it was... In, inconsequential to the actual game on Thursday. That was his worst game of the season. That might have been his worst game. Gosh, maybe his worst game that I can remember, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, Ten points for Matt Mitchell in a game where he is guarded by someone who should not be able to handle him is very, very, very frustrating. His shot wasn't falling. He wasn't hitting those patented Matt Mitchell bully shots, the amount of bunnies that we missed at the rim. And a lot of that can be attributed to Queta, you know, and, and their size inside. They have some big dudes. But I think that he, it just, 
it just wasn't working, right? Nothing was working for the Aztecs. And you got to give credit to where it's due. They played great. Utah State played great defense. They have the size and athleticism to kind of stay in front of our guys. And when people like Trey Pulliam and Seiko and all these other and our, our wings can't get to the hoop, it's just not as easy for them. And though you could tell after the first half that the team was lacking confidence because this is the one thing that really frustrates me the most. It's not going into environment and quote unquote playing scared. It's not, you know, the turnovers, which, oh my gosh, the unforced airs the Aztecs had. It was ridiculous, right? It's playing tentative when you're in a normal setting that you're in all the time. So for example, Seiko catches the ball at the wing three. Let that baby fly, man. Let it go. That's what you're there for. Or they go under the screen on Gomez. Let that baby fly. That's what you're here for. You're here to do that. Do your job. If you miss, you miss, right? But not taking the shot in our offense where you're optimized to take that shot really hurts us down the road. Because now we're scrambling. We don't really have any shot creators, right? So we're, we're relying on jump shooters to beat their man off the dribble and score buckets. And we really only have one guy who can do that on a consistent basis, and that's Matt Mitchell, and he wasn't doing it on Thursday. A lot of times, we need Matt Mitchell to save us. And frankly, he didn't on Thursday. And... I don't want to bang on him because he's our best player. He's been our best player all season. He's our leader. He's the team captain. You can see how much it means to him. He had a frustrating game, and it happens. It's just incredibly unfortunate that it happened on Thursday. So Matt Mitchell then gets hurt, and I looked at my wife, Erica, and I said, Erica, this is the worst thing that could have happened. I would have rather lost by a hundred on national TV and been embarrassed than that injury that Matt Mitchell looked like he had initially because it reminded me a lot of a hyperextended knee, which that is an ugly, ugly, ugly injury because you don't know the outcome of the injury, right? It could be so many different variables that he could be perfectly fine. You know, you've seen people bounce right back up and be okay. You've also seen people tear both their ACL, their MCL, their PCL, destroy their knee, right? In that same injury, non-contact, uh, just awkward landing. And I feel terrible for him because as someone who's torn his, uh, his MCL, when you do that in your knee and you just you just feel it, you just know. It's one of those things where... You just know something isn't right. Your body just tells you instantly, we're not okay. And coming off an in, like when I saw that, the first thing that popped into my mind is Sean Livingston. We're talking about a guy who's out not just one year, but really multiple years and took him a while to become even a shadow of the player that he was. And even then he wasn't what he was pre-injury. And here we are with Matt Mitchell. You know, he almost went to the NBA 
last year. I think he does have a role in the NBA as that sort of P.J. Tucker big, that small four or five that can body up bigger players and shoot on the perimeter. I do think he has a place in the NBA there. Maybe not, you know, 25 minutes a game, but he's going to get his shot. And that's just devastating, right? I was thinking it was it was going to end his season. And with the fall of Matt Mitchell, a lot of, you know, a lot of the first thought to my head was the season's over. It's over. And that was really frustrating, right? And it's really sad. I, I My heart goes out to Matt Mitchell. Uh, I'm so happy that it turned out to only be a strain. And he's only really going to miss the next couple of weeks. And when you look at our schedule, our schedule was very front-loaded, right? Colorado State, Nevada, Utah State to start. And now we play a bunch of games that we really, really should be winning. Our next couple of opponents are the lower half of the Mountain West. And when I tell you they're not good, trust me, they are not good. So next game for us is uh, Air Force. Then we have Wyoming, New Mexico, San Jose State, Fresno State. We should be winning those games with or without Matt Mitchell. And I have hope that we will. And that brings us to Saturday's game. Saturday's game, man, even though we didn't win, I was incredibly proud of the way we played. Because, let's be honest, we didn't play scared. We were aggressive. We were winning by 10 at halftime. Pretty frustrating to blow that halftime lead so quickly, right? Especially on the road. But it's something you got to deal with adversity in basketball. So the big question for me on Saturday was at least, what's the lineup going to look like? How are we going to adjust our style of play to fit without Matt Mitchell? And in the end, it was more time for Kashad Johnson and more time for the absolute star of the series, Lamont Butler. Lamont Butler is the best point guard on this team. He's been showing flashes. He's been showing glimpses. And Saturday, he really delivered. He does things that no other guard on our team can do. Number one, he's the best on-ball point-of-attack defender, and he also does that Rajon Rondo safety football style cutting the passing lane, making sure he's, uh, you know, playing free safety, per se, in a basketball sense. He does that incredible. He is the fastest, quickest guard. He wants to attack the basket every chance he gets. He's the best guard in the... He, I don't know if he's the best guard in the pick and roll because you saw many times Pulliam basically throw that bounce pass in between both defenders to get Mensa a shot or to get somebody a layup, and that's his one of his that happened on Saturday it didn't happen a lot on Friday on Thursday I can tell you that but I think Lamont Butler is the best point guard on this team and one of the things that is very true about all San Diego State teams especially you know with with Fisher and Dutcher he they're going to play seniority and this is a team where you've got senior guards Trey Pulliam senior right Adam Seiko, he's a junior, but he's been in the program for a couple of years, so he's got that seniority. You've got Terrell Gomez, who's a who's a you know a transfer senior, and 
Dutch is going to trust the guys that have the game experience. And it's not a bad strategy, right? It's not. Because you see with Lamont, he makes mistakes that are quote-unquote freshman mistakes. However, his upside, man, is so much higher than any other guard on this team. Terrell Gomez can hit shots and turn into that microwave, right? But that's going to happen in spurts. The way Gomez plays, you're going to get two or three intense minutes from him that can carry you over the course of that time or extend a lead or bring you back into a game. Lamont Butler can dominate people over the course of a game. And he's got some learning to do, right? There are some things that he needs to learn. He needs to learn that you can't just attack the basket and try to dunk on everyone. I mean, I know he tries to lay up. But still, you've got to have a secondary option when you're attacking the basket. And frankly, in this team, that's not the worst idea, especially when the option in the corner is a rope or Kashad Johnson. And, man, a rope's confidence level right now is so incredibly low. I think he's confident in himself around the basket, but... He just doesn't want to pull the trigger on those threes. And so when Lamont's cutting and the guy's helping off of him and leaving a rope in the corner, would you rather Lamont take a contested two, try to get a layup, maybe a foul? He did on Saturday. That When he got fouled Queta out of the game, I lost it. To say I was running around the house excited was an understatement. Pretty sure my neighbors know who Lamont bleeping Butler is. Uh, or at least we'll remember the name because I screamed it about as loud as you possibly could. I am so excited to watch Lamont Butler for the next couple of seasons. This has now shifted the direction of the team, right? Thursday, we come in, we're really defeated, and now we've got this bright star on the horizon. And it's something to look forward to no matter what happens in these games, right? I always firmly believe that you got to have a storyline to root for in basketball. And that's what keeps sports interesting. The hardest teams to root for are the ones that suck, that don't play hard, and aren't good, right? We're probably underperforming. We are underperforming based on my expectations to the start of the year. I definitely didn't expect us to have three losses in conference. That Colorado State loss is is the worst loss maybe in program history if you look at just the situational, uh, the way that we lost the game, having the lead, all that stuff. And then you go to Utah State, you lay an absolute goose egg, like an absolute goose egg that's compounded by the Colorado State loss, right? If you perform, if you won one of those games and got a split, your season outlook looks very different as opposed to now, it's, it's tough. It's going to be really tough to make the tournament. We'll talk about that in a, in a little later segment. Um, So Lamont is doing all of these things, and the bottom line is I think you have to take the risk of playing him and let him grow through the freshman mistakes on the court, especially these next couple of games. These guys aren't good. Let Lamont shine and thrive in a situation where he's going to be facing less competition because I can tell you what, Lamont got confident in that game against Utah State. Lamont knew that they couldn't guard him off the dribble, and He abused them for it, and that's what we need. We need someone who's got that killer instinct, right? 
I think Matt Mitchell does, but having a second person, especially a point guard, if you can have a point guard who has that killer instinct, it's just going to do so much more for your team because the ball is constantly in their hands. And seeing the maturation process of Lamont Butler through the rest of this season, as well as future seasons, is something I'm really looking forward to and something that you should be looking forward to because this guy, this guy is special, man. This kid has all the right attributes. And I'm wondering, right, if this kid is that good already, and you can see it, you saw it on Saturday, maybe it's time to give the other freshmen some run. Maybe Che Evans gets some run. Or Dinwiddie, right? Because these next couple of games, I expect us to be well ahead. and And the freshmen, you know, these are good games to play those guys so that you can really figure out what you have. you got to look at the next stretch of runs as kind of a reassessment period because your last matchup of the season is against Boise, who look, realistically, the best team in the conference significantly. But they're absolutely beatable. I think on our day, when we're playing with confidence, I think we're the best team in the conference. The problem is we don't play consistent enough to make that claim. Right, And you've seen it over the Colorado State games, over the Nevada games, and over the Utah State games. We're just not consistent enough to be called the best team in the conference. And that's really disappointing because we definitely have the best roster, right? And so our performances are definitely underwhelming. And like I said, you've got six games coming up against the lowest rated teams in the league. I think it's really time for Brian Dutcher to take a step back and assess where this team is at. Because that Boise matchup, that Boise matchup could mean everything, right? You run the table in these other games, and you if you beat Boise twice, I think you have a legit chance of making the tournament as an at-large bid. Right now, I think we're out. And I think that's reflected in all of the projections. Circling back to the adjustments that were made because of Matt Mitchell, it's pretty funny because I root for an English soccer team called Arsenal, and they're having a dreadful season, right? They have these older players who are underperforming and constantly taking L's on a regular basis, which essentially forced the manager to try and play the kids, play the younger players. And by doing so, it's absolutely turned their season around where they're in a very good run of form. I look at Matt Mitchell's injury in the exact same way. Mitchell's out. Our players weren't performing. Let's play the kids. And the kids in our case are freshmen. And what happened? Lamont Butler, breakout game. There was another person, however, who I thought played exceptionally well. And that's Kashad Johnson. Kashad brings something to the table that literally no one else on our team brings. Actually brings two things. The first is NBA level, elite NBA level athleticism. The dude is a freak, right? Go to the show's Twitter page. They tweeted out the pregame dunk. Nuts. And in a team versus a team like Utah State, who have who have bigs that are athletic that elite athleticism shows up because he can compete and still be bigger, 
quicker, faster, jump higher than those guys. And he has a lot of work to do on his game. I actually think he probably makes more quote-unquote freshman mistakes than Lamont Butler. But the characteristic that he has that no one else has on our team is he attacks the boards. And he uses his elite-level athleticism. Go back, rewatch Saturday's game. How many times is he crashing the boards from that corner position? A lot of our team, when the shot goes up, they're trying to get back on defense because we've got Mensa and Mitchell in the middle. But without Mitchell, it kind of opens up some space for Kashad to operate. And I think his elite-level rebounding, or at least effort, can really be highlighted in this time where Matt Mitchell's out. He also just seems to be shooting the ball with a little bit more confidence. He's not the best shooter, right? He definitely is not. But guys like he and a rope, they need to have confidence. And if you're playing Lamont, you're going to get opportunities in that corner, especially if he's attacking the basket, because they are just absolutely going to, to cheat off of you to try and stop him from getting a layup. Now, to build on that point, on the other end of the court, I think we did a horrendous job of this over the last two games, and it's something that I have been really hammering on Twitter. Why are we helping off good three-point shooters to try and strip a guy attacking the basket who's already guarded with Mensa waiting there? It just doesn't make sense to me, right? It doesn't make sense. And that resulted in a ton of open threes for Utah State. I know we're trying to force turnovers, but there comes a a time where you really have to take a look at the risk versus reward. And in that case, when you're leaving uncontested guys at home who are a good three-point shooting team, I don't know if it's worth it. I would rather guys be taking contested twos. I know that's a strategy that we've employed really all season. That's something that I would really like us to take a look at because I don't think it's working at all. Uh, the the one who seemed to be getting caught out the most is Jordan Shackle. Uh, he seemed to be, you know, diving in to try to steal the ball and his guy would get an uncontested shot. And that's frustrating because I think that we're a pretty good, you know, we, like we're a team, def- team defense. And I know that that's part of being a, a team, a really elite level team defense. We don't really have those individual guys. And that might be part of the scheme. Maybe it's just, you know, we're getting caught off at, this specific point in time and in the future we won't but it just seems this reoccurring theme of us trying to crash onto drivers leaving uncontested shooters open on the wing or at the the short corner three and when it happens over and over and over and over again that's really frustrating it's really frustrating for fans now I went on Twitter after Saturday's game and really let it out on Brian Dutcher for not playing Mensa the last two-plus minutes when Quaita fouled out. I don't know if you noticed this, but it seemed like he did not play the last couple of minutes of that game, and he wasn't in foul trouble, so I wanted to know what's going on. Well, it turns out Dutcher mentioned this in one of his post-game interviews, or maybe I read it somewhere. I know Trone mentioned it. He was struggling with the altitude, and oh, man, that sucks because I really firmly believe that Mensa would have been able to turn that game around, right? 
And I know we talked about in the previous game him matching up, Dutcher matching up Menza's minutes with Cueta's minutes. In the minutes that Cueta was on the court when Mensa was off in game one, Utah State was plus 10. Utah State won by 12 points. That's a really easy place to point your finger at and say this was the difference in the game. I know you guys are frustrated. I've seen it all over Twitter. I've been getting text messages. I see it with my own family who are all big Aztec fans. It's a frustrating tone to the fan base now, but I just want to say it's time to take a step back, relax, and look at your team in a different light, right? Because no longer are we gunning for that top spot. We still very well could. We still very well could. And I really think that if we could sweep Boise, which right now maybe doesn't seem as likely because of how we're playing, but I think it could happen. It definitely could happen. They got to play at San Diego State, right? And we are a better team at home than on the road, I think, even without fans. It still makes a difference. Um, And really, realistically, world staring at the barrel of no postseason. And that sucks. And that's a little bit of a disappointment after last year's incredible team. But there's bright spots. And I would highly encourage you guys to look at the bright spots on this team instead of the disappointment. Be happy that Mitchell's okay. And he's going to be healthy, hopefully, for that Boise State game, right? Because we don't play them for about five weeks. That's a long time to get right. And then after that, you're into the conference play. And I don't know if there's ev- there's a team that plays better on a consistent basis in the conference tournament than San Diego State. I think our coaching staff has done it so much more than others. And frankly, our team is tough. And when you have a team of tough players, you're going to do well. And this next couple of games, Air Force, Wyoming, New Mexico, San Jose State, those are our next eight games. We should go 8-0. and we really should. Next game's on Friday, which seems super weird to me because we've been having these Thursday, Saturday, Saturday games. Um, oh, man, I just looked at the schedule. Sunday's game's at 7 p.m. That's brutal. Ugh. Um, so, yeah, Air Force coming up this week. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about them, frankly, because they just aren't good. Uh, they also haven't played a lot of games, right? <clears throat> Uh, the last they've just played Wyoming. They split the series with Wyoming yesterday. They got beat by 20 against 19 against Wyoming. They beat Wyoming by three on Saturday. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's interesting. They got crushed by Boise twice. They got crushed by Utah state twice. They beat Nevada by two. Uh, they lost the first game by a significant amount, but they beat Nevada by two. But then you look at their other schedule. They lost to Seattle. They beat CSU Northridge. That's that's Gomez's school by five. They've lost to they beat Lamar, but they lost to Drake. So they're they're like we should beat them. I would expect us to be six to ten point favorites somewhere around there. I'm not the best at setting lines, but we should probably be that that level of, of favorite at home against a team that frankly isn't that good and it just came off a 20 point loss um so yeah i think we can get eight wins in a row under our belt you know that's nice playing the scraps of our schedule 
uh, UNLV is that's that when that game is rescheduled is going to be very interesting. Um, if it's going to be rescheduled, right? Because uh, right now I'm looking at the schedule; it's not showing up. Um, I believe it's coming sometime in February. There is maybe after Boise. I know we're not the only; it's not the only series that's been canceled. So maybe they'll have uh, some time after Boise. I don't know. I'll, we'll make sure to get you all the information as soon as it comes. But there's some positives. Lamont, Kashad, we're going to get to see really Mensa be a huge focal point of the offense, which, you know, really hasn't been before. Um, there are some positives. So look at the positives. Heads up. No matter what, though, those boys can be extremely proud of their effort on Saturday's game. They played about as well as you could have thought of. They were in the game. It wasn't a. I know the game ended and it was a four point win for Utah State. It was a one possession game. They lost a one possession game without their best player at one of, if not the best team in the conference, right? That's something to be proud of. So, to end this episode, I want to go over a couple of mailbag questions that I got from people. Uh, thank you so much for submitting your mailbag questions. If you ever want to be a part of the show, this is the easiest way for you to do so. Hit me up at Call Me Kinslow on Twitter. You can follow me there. I'll make sure to follow you back. I'm engaging with our listeners all the time. I want to hear from you, San Diego State community. So, first question is Do we go with a short bench for the next couple of games, or do you integrate more playing time for those players? who haven't been playing. And I think the answer is you integrate Che Evans, you integrate Dinwiddie a little bit more, and you see where what they have, right? Now's the perfect time. You've got nothing to lose. You're going to have garbage time against these teams, hopefully. And so I think it's going to really offer you an opportunity to see what they have, and maybe they can be contributing members of this team. Because there are some guys who over the last couple of games haven't really been performing, and I'm a big believer in you play who's pl- you play the hot hand, so let's just see what these kids have. I don't think it, I don't think it can hurt. The next question is, do you think the rumor what do you think about the rumored ACC interest? For those of you that don't know, last week there was a rumor that ACC was looking to add Boise and us to the conference in both football and basketball. And I think you really can look at it in one of two ways, right? You can look at it in the positive and holy crap, we're going to be in a legit basketball conference and a legit football conference. I don't really watch San Diego State football. College football really isn't my thing, so you know me. I'm a tried-and-true college basketball fan, so I'm going to look at it from that perspective, even though I know the money in football is much bigger, right? You can look at it like this. We're in a conference with Duke, with North Carolina, with with Syracuse, with Notre Dame, with these really cool programs that you can create new lasting rivalries with. And playing Duke every single year at San Diego State would be freaking incredible, right? Playing North Carolina in North Carolina would be insane. But the flip side, we would be so far west, we're making a cross-country trip almost every single road game. That's five hours on a plane. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate flying. I mean, I don't hate it in the terms of I don't do it because I don't enjoy the experience, 
But who wants to sit in an airplane for five hours a day before you play a game? You just have this travel hangover that's inevitable. And this isn't the NBA. They're not flying in the Lakers' official private charter jet, right? They're flying Southwest. They might be flying charter, but it certainly doesn't have, you know, beds in the plane like the professional the professional players do. Those are serious trips. And when you're making cross-country trips, normally it doesn't end well, right? Normally it doesn't end well. And so I caution people to be, jump to the ACC, jump to the ACC. I heard a lot of that over the last probably 10-ish days because there are consequences, right? I actually think something like joining the American Conference makes a lot more sense. Uh, The football conference is better than the Mountain West. The basketball conference is better than the Mountain West. You've got up-and-coming programs that you could create new rivalries with. Uh, I would love us to be Memphis's new rival. Bring Penny Hardaway's team down to San Diego every year. Let's kick his ass at Viejas, and let's go from there. Because I really think that joining the ACC is going to be a two-headed monster. The one thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, if we're in the ACC, Cali kids are going to want to kick Duke's ass. They're going to want to beat North Carolina. And that has pull for recruiting. And frankly, our team last year would have done pretty dang good in the ACC. And I think having that platform, that national spotlight, your games aren't on CBS Sports Network. Your games are on ESPN. Your games are on ABC. Your tournament is one of is talked about on Sports Center, right? Those things matter. And I think we already do a pretty good job of recruiting for how small of a school we are. That's going to take our program to the next level, especially with transfers. We're already getting pretty good transfers now, right? But you go from that from getting the Terrell Gomez's of the of the world to getting the Malachi Flynn's of the world on a regular basis when you transfer to the ACC. So there's definitely positives and negatives. My opinion is I think we should probably look elsewhere. But if the options are stay in the Mountain West or go to the to the ACC, this isn't a decision. You bolt because the Mountain West is garbage. Garbage. Look at the programs in specifically with basketball. Over the last 10 years, who are the best programs? San Diego State. Oh, no, no. I was trying to think about who the second best program was in the last 10 years, and it's been significantly good for those last 10 years. And the answer is none, because UNLV is a dumpster fire. New Mexico... Ooh, what's below dumpster fire? There aren't any other programs that have sustained the success that SDSU has on a regular basis. I'd probably say Boise is the second best, and that's because Leon Rice can outcoach really anyone in the conference. I think he's the best coach in the conference. I love Leon Rice, and now he's got a really good team, and he's showing you what you can do with a really good team. So, we got to leave. We got to figure out some way in terms of how are we getting out of here. That's my take. Last question for the pod comes from Tony on Facebook. 
He writes, Kyle, I really miss going to the games. I'm more disappointed that I can't go to Viejas and get that experience than I am in the actual performances of the team. Help. Well, Tony, I think I've got some answers for you there. The first is, do the exact same pregame routine that you would do in the stadium. Now, I know for myself, I'm a hot dog guy. So what do I do during the Aztec games? I'm eating hot dogs. Or do you drink? Do you have a beer? Do you have a ginormous, overpriced diet Pepsi? Have it. Have it while you're watching the Aztec games. And put your jersey on. Wear your Aztec gear to your virtual work. I wear my Aztec gear while I'm working on game days. It helps me feel like I'm a part of the team, like I'm a part of the experience, right? And that's what you really crave as fans. You want to be a part of that. And I think we've got, I've got a solution to the energy and missing the community aspect. I'm going to try and start live streaming on Twitch, a live watch along for our Aztec games. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this done before and get this all set up and going before the Air Force series. My goal is by the Wyoming game on Thursday, 128. You and I are watching the games together over on Twitch. Twitch is a great platform. If you've never used Twitch before, head over there right now. It's run by Amazon. Amazon bought them out. It's mainly known for video game streamers, people who stream playing video games. But what we're going to do is I'll have a camera on me. We'll be watching the game. We'll have an official like ticker with the score and stuff like that. So what you can do is pull me up on your laptop and put your screen put while you're watching the Aztec game and we can talk about it. You're going to get my live reaction. We can chat about what's working, what's not working. You can we can interact. We can have a live in-game interaction. Think about it like you and I are sitting next to each other at Viejas because we can't do that but we can still talk about X's and O's and why this play worked and get excited when someone does a tomahawk jam and we can all live through those reactions together because community and the Viejas experience is the best part of San Diego State men's basketball. It's the show. It's the energy. It's everything, right? It's this time that we can spend that is a complete disconnect from the regular portion of our lives. It's why we love sports so much. And this opportunity, and this is what I'm doing on Twitch, I really think will allow us to do that moving forward. And so my Twitch handle, okay, is Kyle San Diego. K-Y-L-E San Diego. I'm going to be streaming there. I just got to get all the equipment. I've never streamed to Twitch before. I've streamed to other places in the past. Twitch is a little bit different. It's a little bit more professional. Let me get my act together and I will come correct and we will have watch we will have viewing parties together. I can't actually show the game on the screen. That's copyright violations and FCC would come after me. But we can chat while we're watching the game, and I can give you live commentary, and you can give me your live feedback, and I think that's just going to be an awesome community-building experience for our little segment of fanhood 
in Aztec Nation. If you ever want to ask questions or engage with us, once again, Twitter seems to be the best place for both me and Trone. You can follow Trone at Aztec Breakdown, and you can follow me at Call Me Kinslow. I'll make sure that we keep you updated with the Twitch because I think that would be so fun getting Trone and I, or just myself if Trone can't do it, um, to watching the games. But I'm very interested to meet all of you over there. So go ahead, set up your Twitch account, create a username, and get ready because come the end of the season, we're going to have that up and running and we're going to be watching games together. I look forward to speaking with you guys again. I hope you really enjoy this. We love you guys so much. Have a safe week. Remember, games this week are Friday, Sunday. You got an 8 p.m. Friday tip. God, if that was... Ugh, I, that's the worst tip in sports, in my opinion, that Friday, Friday 8 p.m. tip. I'd rather our team tip at 5 a.m. <laughs> so, yeah, love you guys. We'll see you on the next episode of the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. Go Aztecs.